One thing I've noticed in life is that it's really easy to virtually upgrade anything into a luxury item today. Has anybody else noticed that? Like, no matter what it is, like, you can get your phone, like, upgraded to, like, a 24-karat gold phone. It's like you can get that upgraded. Uh, even on Uber, you can upgrade to Uber uh, Lux. XL, which is for like the ballers out there. So not only you don't just get like a normal Uber, you're like getting the Mac Daddy Uber. I recently got uh, this promotion in the mail. It was from a luxury MasterCard. And it, it, this, it came in this wooden box. I was like, what in the world is this? Is this wooden box. I opened it up and inside it's this luxury MasterCard that they say, man, this is the ultimate luxury credit card out there. Um, it was stainless steel with a carbon fiber backing. And it said, I, I read through it, and it, it literally said, uh, you can live life without limits with this card. Which you can until 30 days later when the bill comes and all of a sudden some limitations come on your life. Can I get an amen right there? You know I actually, I was so intrigued by this card. I was like, wow, this is, this is impressive marketing. I went to their website and I found out this was actually the, the entry level luxury card. There was actually a 24 karat gold luxury card with carbon fiber backing. I was like, baller status, I've got to have one of those. Like, I mean, I just, I didn't have to. So I went to the fine print, $1,000 a year annual fee. We all thinking what I'm thinking. That, I better be able to take that to the pawn shop to get that $1,000. I'm just kidding. But it, it's amazing. You can upgrade anything. And, and, and that is kind of the world we live in today. There are opportunities everywhere to upgrade. There, and, and, and every single one of those things promises to be better, doesn't it? It promises that you're going to be more fulfilled, that you're going to feel better about yourself, that you're going to be in a different echelon of class, that you're going to be able to do things that other people can't do in life. And what ends up happening is we end up upgrading and upgrading and upgrading. And before long, we find ourselves like upgraded to the max and stressed out to the max and living on the edge of life, specifically when it comes to our finances. And a lot of people are, are just, just at the edge and they're strapped financially in life. And so today I want to talk a little bit about finances because over the last two to three months, probably 50% of my conversations with people within the church have been with financial issues they're dealing with. And, and so over and over again, I'm talking about people about margin and, and how to live life a little bit differently. And so I just thought to myself, man, I haven't talked about finances in forever uh, and, and so I'm just going to dive into it because I think that we can actually live with some peace in our life rather than a whole bunch of stress in our life. And, and I understand this as well as anybody because 16 years ago, Shayla and I were strapped in life. We, we were strapped. We were fresh out of college. We were working jobs. Each one of us, I just got a job at, at, at a church and Shayla was working at, for a doctor at the time and, and we, we had... You know, the first thing they give you in college is what? A credit card. It's the first thing that comes in the mail. It isn't like your class schedule. It isn't where you're going to live. It's like a MasterCard or a Visa. And, and we said, man, we're not going to do much on this. We're going to use it only when necessary. By the end of our college, we'd racked up $25,000 of credit card debt. How many of y'all can say they were dumb? 
Come on, say, they dumb. Come on, I know it's hard. It's church. It's okay. Say, they dumb. Because we dumb. You know, that's what we were. And so we were dumb, and we, we had jobs. And, and so we, we started looking at our finances, and we realized that there was way more month than there was money. And so I did the thing that virtually everybody does in that situation. I went out, and I got a second job. I, I was working at church, and then I was, I was working at a hotel as a front desk clerk at night trying to make ends meet, trying to solve our financial problem. And I thought, man, all I need is more money. If I get more money, then I'll be able to pay all of these bills. But I learned a very, very valuable lesson in that season, and it's this. You can't out-earn bad spending habits. Some of you guys need to hear that again because you're dealing with a situation. You can't out-earn bad spending habits. A lot of times we think, man, I just need more money. I just need more income. And while you may need more money and more income, I would challenge you, before you get more money and more income, I would challenge you to look at how your current money management is. Because here's the deal. Most people, if you got a 10%, a 20%, a 50% raise, three months from now, you would be in the exact same financial position, making 10, 20, 50% more, still having the bad spending habits because you've never managed the management side of your resources. Because until you start managing the management side, what we found is that while we made more money, money just continually leaked out. Anybody relate to that? Anybody see that? It's like, man, where's, where's, the, where's the hole in the bottom? <laughs> it was in the management side because we're living without some limitations. And so I want to talk to you today about three habits that Shayla and I had to learn, and I see them rooted in the Bible and uh, they, we've applied them in our lives, and it's helped us find financial peace in our life. And when we began to live out these three habits, and I'll, I'll just be honest, things began to turn around, but it wasn't instantaneously. First thing we had to realize is that we didn't have an income problem, we had a management problem. We had a management issue, and so we had to make some serious decisions about our life. And I remember one of the first decisions we made is we were driving nice cars and and I, I said, man, babe, we got we to gotta, we gotta get rid of some of these payments. And I remember we sold the nice car that I was driving, and I went out and I bought this 1990 Ford Taurus station wagon. It was primer gray because the person before it, that's what they painted it, primer gray. None of the interior lights worked. None of the gauges worked, so you didn't know how fast you were going. You didn't know if you had gas in it or not. Like, you just stopped the gas station and filled it up all the time. You're like, I don't want to run out of gas. None of the exterior lights worked, so you couldn't drive it at night. But it got me from A to B. And let me just tell you something. That car was anointed. Man, every single week, two quarts of oil went on and praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Anointed in life. We made those decisions. I remember we started cutting, we cut cable out because we didn't, we didn't need cable. I remember we cut dial-up internet out of, out of our life. You all remember? You remember that? It's what it was like, teenagers, back in the day. The prehistoric ages. Remember, we made all these decisions. We moved out of our, our apartment. We moved into this like one-bedroom efficiency. And we started watching every single dime that we spent. We started living with some habits, and it took us a while. In fact, it took us almost two years to get out of debt. But we got our life back, and we found freedom. And I believe that you can apply these habits and get your life back and find freedom 
and find peace in your life. And for some of you, you're working jobs and more and more jobs and debt just keeps piling up. And I would suggest to you, it's probably not an income problem you have. It's probably a management problem. And peace is available to you today. And Jesus actually talks about this in Luke chapter 12. He's having this extended discussion about money. And he's, he, he's, he's teaching. And right in the middle of it, a guy interrupts. And this is what he interrupts with. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. It says, Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell me my brother, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, Friends, who made me a judge over you to decide such things? Then he said, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. So Jesus is teaching, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the sermon, some guy's like, Jesus! Hey! What, tell my brother to hook a brother up. Give me what's mine. Now, now we, we look at that and we go, man, that's some bad time and that's kind of rude, but this would not have been un, a, a not uncommon thing. In fact, most of the time, people would have gone to the religious leaders of the day to get answers to life situations, and a lot of death would have involved some religious aspect of it. So it wasn't uncommon for somebody to come and do and say this or do this to somebody that was considered a rabbi or a spiritual person. And he's like, hey, tell my brother to split the estate. And in that moment, Jesus doesn't see a religious problem in that moment. He doesn't see a family problem in that moment. He doesn't see an estate problem in that moment. What he sees is he sees a heart problem in the moment. Am I right? Because he goes on to the issue. He goes, I'm not the judge, but you have got to guard against every kind of greed. Now, what's interesting is this week I went on Amazon. I don't know if you know this, but you can go and you can look at like what are the top 10 things people are saving that they want to buy in the future. And one of the things that people are like all jonesing for in life are these like nest security systems. They're like, everybody's saving that. They want a nest security system, which I thought was really interesting because we're living in a culture that is all about not guarding our hearts, but guarding our stuff. And Jesus comes along and goes, no, 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 no. Here's what you need to be aware of, and here's what you need to do. You need to guard against, you need to guard against every kind of greed because life is not measured by how much you own. And how desperately, church, do we need to hear that in our culture today? Where everything gets reduced to what we have and what we own. So let's look at some habits so we can get control of our stuff so our stuff doesn't control us. The first one is this, if you're taking notes. Number one, it's the pay now habit. It's the pay now habit. How many of you guys have ever done one of those escape room games? Anybody done an escape room game? Come on, throw your hands up. See, I see all the people that were on a mission trip with me a couple years ago. Uh, we went and did an escape room. It was my first time ever doing an escape room. And uh, our, this is my version of, of the escape room. If you don't know what it is, does everybody know what an escape room is? Raise your hands if you know what an escape room is. Okay, there's some people that don't know what, okay, so an escape room is basically this game that you go on Groupon because you can buy it cheaper there. <laughs> First off, Groupon. Thank me later. And uh, so you buy a Groupon for this escape room. You go with a group of people, and you go into a room, and they lock you in it, 
and they give you clues, and the clues will lead you to like books that you have to move that will open up shelves that become walls that open up into other rooms where somebody was murdered and snakes fall from the ceiling, and it's craziness. And the goal of the game is to get through all these clues that will eventually let you out of the room, all while being timed, putting undue and unnecessary pressure on your relationships. Not only that, but you throw a whole bunch of big personalities and A-type personalities on your escape room team, and there's a little bit of drama that happens. And so I'm not like a big games fan. Like, I like playing sports where I know I can win, but games are kind of just a crapshoot, and so I'm not excited about doing this. Shayla has arranged this. We've, we've got Jasmine down here who's loud and Mexican, and we've got a CEO down back there, and, and we've got, we got some other people that are used to being in charge. So everybody is like pure alpha, you know what I'm saying, in this room, and it's like, we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and like, we want to choke and kill each other in this escape room the entire time. What's crazy is at the end, we took a picture, and we're all like smiling and hugging, but let's be honest, we hated each other at the end of this. This is what our financial life feels like sometimes, doesn't it? It feels like an escape room, especially when debt begins to take root in our lives. And we buy into this buy now, pay later culture. 90 days, interest-free, same as cash. You can go get the loan and you're going to have interest for free for 15 months. The problem is, is most of us don't ever read the fine print that says, man, if you miss a payment, you're late on a payment, that 0% interest goes up to like 28.9% interest and it gets retroed all the way back because, listen, banks aren't there to help you. Banks are there to get rich or die trying, as 50 Cent would say. So we can get into this situation where life begins to feel like an escape room. And finances and debt is one of the primary stressors of relationships out there. Nothing will destroy your marriage and your family like trying to figure out the financial code of life. Like, like how do I get from here out of this room into that room, which is going to lead me to another room, which is eventually going to lead me to get this padlock that I can unlock. And what we're doing is we're going, man, I've got to buy my kids school supplies, but I can't buy them school supplies because I bought a new car two years ago on high interest that I'm still paying for today. And how do I escape this dilemma in life? And what ends up happening in relationships and families is it feels like that escape room where we're arguing and we're bickering and we're trying to put our arms around each other and be kumbaya for pictures, but we hate each other in that moment. Married people are like, amen. See, we're in this culture that is buy now, pay later. We try to separate the joy of buying from the pain of paying. And so we get into this cycle of this escape room. And a lot of us, we know what that's like because we're living it right now. And Shayla and I were there, and, and I'm here to bring you encouragement because there is another way in your life. There is a way 
out, there are some decisions that you're going to have to make, and you may feel overwhelmed and stressed out, but you can absolutely escape from your situation, and it's not going to be easy, and it's not going to be quick. I promise you those two things. But I promise you that you can escape, and at the end, you will be filled with more joy and more peace than you're currently experiencing in your life. And one of the greatest ways you can do that is by adopting this pay-now habit. And the pay-now habit says, if I don't have the cash in hand to buy it, I don't buy it. I don't just take out my credit card and swipe it. See, a lot of us, a lot of us think our spending limit is our credit limit. See, your spending limit in life is not your credit limit, it's your income. See, the average American right now is spending 103% of their income. I went to Wells Fargo, it's my bank, I went to their website this week just to see what the front page said, and it said, how much can you borrow? And I was like, eh, wrong question, Wells. Because here's what I know, banks will give me more money than I can afford to have. Why? Because they're in the business of making money. They don't care about your financial future. They don't care about my financial future. So we need to know what we can afford. And I'm not saying all debt is bad, but the Bible is very clear that the borrower is servant to the lender. So you need to know who you're getting in bed with and what they're going to require of you. So buying a house, not necessarily a bad thing to go in debt for to get a car not the nicest car in the world that can get you from a to b to your job so you can make money not always a bad decision consumer credit card debt terrible decision every single time every single time because so many people are living with their credit limit as their spending limit and so one thing that shayla and i did over 16 years ago is we went to a cash system and uh, it was hard to move to a cash system. We, we'd pay our, 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 our rent payment. We'd pay our electric payment. And then at the, the Shayla would do is she'd take out an envelope. She'd go, TJ, here's all your money for groceries. Here's all your money for gas. Here's all of your money for, uh, uh, you know, having fun. And she'd put it in envelopes. And I remember going to the grocery store and, and buying things at the grocery store. And it's always weird because you're there, you're buying stuff, and you're like 5, 10, 15, 20, 25. Hold on, 30, 35, 40. They're like, just swipe a card. No, 50, 55, 60. And it's terrible paying with cash. But we learned some things in that season. We learned when the envelope was empty, we couldn't buy anymore. It's a crazy concept for some of you. But let me just tell you this. If you're upside down, this will help you. Every study out there shows that when you pay cash for something, you will not spend as much as you will on a credit card. So, like, when you whip out the $100 bill, the, the Benjamin Franklin, because it's all about the Benjamins, right? When you whip out the $100 bill to pay for something, like, it hurt, like, it's hard to let go of Uncle Ben, isn't it? It's hard. It's like, don't take, don't take Ben from me. Ben's been traveling with me for a little bit. We're close. But here's what you do. When you go to pay with a $100 bill, what do, you, what do you say to somebody? Hey, can you break 100 Why? Because when you pay with cash, it hurts. It's breaking something. It should cause some pain in your life. But it isn't painful to whip out your Visa card and just spend it, is it? 
You don't even think about it. But you whip out the Benjamin Franklin. It's like, ha, I don't really need that. I'm going to keep that in my back pocket. You know what? We're good friends. It's all good. I know it sounds hard, but man, this discipline to use cash to get discipline changed our life. And I'm telling you, if you're upside down, this is a radical way that can transform your financial future. Dave Ramsey says it like this, cash is king and debt is dumb. Some of you, you need to make that your mantra and get into this pay now habit. And if, listen, if you're here and you feel overwhelmed, you're like, I don't even know where to start. Listen, take out your info card that's in your worship guide. Fill it out. Put, I need some financial counseling. We'd love to help you. Get into a financial peace connect group. We have resources available for you to help you move along. But Dave, Dave actually gives some baby steps that I think all of us should take. And we applaud a lot of these. Dave wasn't around when we were going through our thing. But he gives some steps to use that I think are brilliant that we should all apply in our lives. The first thing he says is he says, get the B word in your life. Get a b -b -b budget. He says, get a budget. And most people think, well, I can do that in like a, a day. No, no, no. See, this is what I've learned about budgeting. Budgeting takes about 90 days to figure out what you really spend and where you really spend it and where it's all going because you're going to find out in one month you don't have some expenses that you have in other months and you need to put that in your budget. And so you need to figure it out. Take 90 days, figure out a budget. Then what you need to do is you need to pay the minimums on all of your credit cards and put away $1,000 as an emergency fund in a savings account. Why do you need to do that? Because it's inevitable that an emergency is going to come up. How many of y'all know that the air always breaks and the car breaks down when you're broke? And so instead of being broke, prepare for the emergency so when it breaks, you're not in a bond. You're not going back into debt. Then he says what you need to do is you need to use the debt snowball, which is what you do is you take all of your credit cards, you list them all out, you find the one with the lowest balance, and you start paying that credit card first. And I know all the math majors out there are going to go, but TJ, the smart thing to do would be to go and pay the one with the highest interest. Listen, math didn't help you not get into that problem. So let's not try to use math now to get out of it. Let's try to get a victory in your life because you are losing. And so what you need to do is you need to pay off that smallest credit card because psychologically what you need to do is you need to start winning in your life. And as you pay that card off, as you're paying the minimum balances on that, putting everything on that smaller one, you pay it off, you celebrate that, you take all of that money, you apply, apply to the next lowest credit card and do the same thing and over time what will happen is you'll start to see this snowball effect happen with you eradicating debt out of your life and then once you get the debt paid off get three to six months of savings in the bank now listen i know because i already see one of the guys there's some of you guys in here that you manipulate point systems and that's awesome you're like, but I use points for my credit cards. That's awesome. And, and, and if you're disciplined to do that, go for it. But the reason the point system exists is because 90% of the people aren't disciplined to do it. And the banks aren't there to give you free airline tickets. They're there to make money. And they're making money off the 90% of people that aren't disciplined enough to spend within their limits and pay that off every single month. So for over 10 years, we used the cash system every single day until we got responsible enough that we could start using our debit card. Holler at your boy. We had a mortgage payment at times. At times we had car payments. At times we didn't. 
But here's what I learned. If I wanted to buy something, I saved for it. Here's what I learned in saving for things. Because it took some time, by the time I usually got that money saved up, I was like, ooh, that's going to hurt to buy that. I'd rather keep that cash in my wallet. And I didn't end up buying things that I would have just swiped on a card. This habit will help you if you can get into it. The pay now habit. Second habit, pay yourself. Pay yourself. So many of us, we are living on the edge in life. I was in New York City this, this past week, and I was, back, I was there back in December, and one of the things that blows my mind is how Uber drivers and cab drivers live on the edge of, of, of other cars. Like, they'll, they'll be uh, like a sixteenth of an inch from each other and, and just flying all over the place. And I remember when we were there in December, we saw a guy pull out into an, in front of another guy, and there actually was an accident. And they were like, I can't believe you did that. Like, they live on the edge all the time, and they were shocked when they got in an accident. Do you know that the average American... Six out of ten Americans don't have a dime in savings today. We're living on the edge, and when accidents come, we're like, God, how could you let this happen? When the reality is, as Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, so he's already let you know it's going to happen. So there is a responsibility on our part to be wise in how we manage our things and to put some savings away. And so I would encourage and challenge every single one of you, if you're one of the six and ten that doesn't have any money in savings, go and cut out Starbucks for two months and you will have $1,000 in your savings account two months from now. People are laughing because they know it's true. Or go cut out that gym membership that you never show up for. But you like having the tag on your keyboard. Yeah, I'm a member of LA Fitness. It's good. They haven't seen me in three years, but you know. <laughs> We're not on speaking terms. <laughs> Cut it out. Get some money in savings. It will help you. And then, what I, I, then live within a framework that I call the 10-10-80 principle. And if you've ever been to our DNA class, which is tonight, I talk about this extensively every single time because I think it's the wisest way to live. And what it basically means is, is you take the first 10% of your income and you return that to God because God gave it all to you. And so he asked, he says, return to me the first tenth. It's called a tithe. And so I return that to him and say, God, I, I'm going to give you back what, in fact, you've given me everything. You only require this. The next 10%, I'm going to pay myself. I'm going to put it away in savings. I'm going to create some margin in my life. I'm going to create some savings in my life. And then I'm going to live on 80%. Now, some of you hear that and go, that's crazy. I, because you are living on 103%, this is going to require some difficult choices for you to get down to 80%. But I promise you this, the moment you start putting margin in your life, all of a sudden your peace quotient is going to rise to new levels in your life. And so it's important to pay yourself. Now, in Jesus' story, he, he's going to continue. He's going to talk about an individual who put his security in his stuff and in his savings, he's going to challenge us with this. In verse 12, in verse, in chapter 12, verse 16, he says, Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, What should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, My friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy 
eat, drink, and be merry. So this guy's got savings, and you might think to yourself, man, he's being a good steward. But there are some things going on in the story that maybe you don't pick up right away. One is this guy already has barns. This guy already has wheat. This guy already has stuff. This guy already has savings. This is excess of his excess. The second thing is, is notice that he doesn't think about anybody else. He doesn't think about God. He doesn't think about his friends. He doesn't even think about his own family. In fact, I, I was researching this and looking at one of the commentaries, and this, this scholar said uh, the Middle Easterners would have been very, very surprised that this man is talking to himself about this very important issue in life. Because in Middle Eastern culture, they lived in these very close-knit communities, and so anytime you were making a major decision like this, you would have gone and sought wisdom from the elders of the community to make this choice. But we don't find that here. So he doesn't have friends. He doesn't have family. He is isolated, and the original hearers would have thought, how interesting that he doesn't have anybody to talk to because he says, then I said to myself. So he's talking to himself. And then God says this in verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you work for in life? See, we have to save for the future and we have to be wise, but we have to be careful not to find our security in our savings, but find our security in God. This guy was building bigger barns and getting bigger stuff, trying to get all of his security in a centralized place. And in the original language, the Bible literally says, God says to him, your soul will be required of you tonight. Now, I want you to think about that. Because he owned all these barns, and he owned all this stuff, but he didn't even own his own soul. God did. Your soul is on loan to you, and now it is being required back. Just like this farm has been loaned to you, just like this stuff has been loaned to you, just like my house has been given on loan to me, just like my car has been given on loan to me, just like your home has been given on loan to you, just like your house has been given on loan to you, just like your uh, stuff has been given on loan to you. Everything I have and everything you have comes from God. It's His to give and it's His to take away. And so here's what I've learned. I'm going to be grateful for what I have. Because I've learned as a parent that when my child seems grateful, like I want to give him more. But when he's stingy, I'm taking everything from him. Come on, parents, you can relate, right? <laughs> so I'm going to be grateful, and I'm going to try to be wise. I'm not going to find my security in my savings, but I'm going to find my security in Christ. So we've got to pay now, pay yourself, and finally we've got to pay it forward. Pay it forward. Verse 21, it says, Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. He's saying, listen, you can have all that stuff, but the most important wealth that you have is a rich relationship with God. And he continues on in the next few verses, and he says, man, you're not to worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. It says you're not to worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear, what, which is what so many of us worry about, because he goes, don't I take care of the birds of the air and feed them and provide them nests? And he goes on to say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I'll take care of all the rest. And then he finishes up the chapter with verse 33, and he says, 
sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the persons of heaven will never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it. No moth can destroy it. And I thought about that even in my own life when Shayla and I were trying to dig ourselves out of this financial hole. I remember we, we said early on, man, like we know that trusting God will help get us out of this hole. And so, and so we said, one of the first things we did is we said, you know what, God, we're going to trust you with the first. We know that, that you can do more with our 90 than we've been able to do with our 100. See, our 100 has gotten us into this place and that hasn't worked. And so I'm not going to continue doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. I'm going to do something different in life. I'm going to trust you with my first. And I remember as we started trusting God with the first 10%, as we are looking at our life and we are running numbers, God God somehow provided every month, but I, I looked at the numbers and it shouldn't work. And I remember looking at it and going, God, like I need to make double what I'm making right now. And so I remember I, I heard from God and I said, God, I'm going to start tithing off what I need, not what I currently have. Not saying for anybody else to do that. I believe that's something I heard from God for my own life. And so we started giving 20% of our income because that's what we needed to make. I remember in that season, I was able to quit that second job, and I actually uh, stepped away from my church job, and I started a business, and, and before long, we were making more money than we had ever made in our life. And before long, that 20% that I was tithing was now my 10%. And I've watched throughout my life just seeing how faithful God has been season after season after season. When I pay it forward. I remember when we first started the church, I remember I was here on a Sunday morning. We had one service just at this campus, and I remember seeing a single dad with three kids. And right in the middle of my service, uh, uh, as I was talking, I heard God distinctly speak to me and say, hey, you need to give him your expedition that you have. And I was like, God, but that's my expedition. It's mine. It's my car. What am I going to drive then? He's like, I didn't ask you what you're going to drive. I asked you to give your car away. I remember I found that guy after service and I said, hey, come to my house after church. I remember handing him the title and handing him the keys and all of a sudden we were down to one car and it's like, all right, God, I trust you. The next week I was back in Bradenton to, to hear a, a, a speaker that was there and at the end of the service, the guy's like, hey, I need you to come over to my house. And I show up at his house and he goes, hey, I've got this Jeep Wrangler that uh, is just sitting in my garage. We, we have multiple cars. I, I felt like God told me to give it to you tonight during the service, and so here's the title. Here's the keys. About two years later, we are getting ready to start our Pompano Beach campus, and Shayla and I, we, we are broke as a joke, man. We are paying our bills, but we are just making it as a church, but yet we knew we wanted to make it hard for people to go to hell by making it easy for them to go to church so they could experience, know, and follow Jesus. And we were praying, going, God, what would you have us to give to our Give Me Faith initiative to reach people over in Pompano Beach? And I remember God saying, hey, I want you to sell your Jeep and give it all to the church. And I was like, hold on, God. That afternoon, we put it up for sale on Craigslist. Later that week, it sold. We wrote a check to the church. Back down to one car, making it happen. I remember in that season being like, all right, God, I'll trust you. 
Man, I'm just being obedient to what you say. And I've learned that God is rarely early, but he's never late in life. Anybody else ever experienced that? Four months later, it's January. We're in a season of prayer and fasting. I'm praying, going, God, I know you're going to provide. I've trusted you. I get a phone call from somebody, and they go, hey, we're praying for you in the season of prayer and fasting, and uh, we have a Toyota Prius we'd like to give you. And lo and behold, a couple of weeks ago, we are in my quiet time, and I heard God say, man, you know that Prius that I gave you? I was like, yeah, God, I love that car. <laughs> He's like, well, there's a young lady that needs it a lot more than you do. And I said, well, you're going to need to tell Shayla that. So, <laughs> And lo and behold, God was already telling Shayla that, and neither one of us wanted to talk to each other about it. And finally, we were sitting down, having some one-on-one time, and she goes, man, I think we're supposed to, and I go, give the Prius to this girl. And he, she's like, yeah, how did you know? I was like, dang you, God. No, it's like... <laughs> I tell you all that not because I want something from you. You know, anytime we talk about this, everybody's like, oh, the church just wants my money. Listen, the church does not need your money. Jesus' church will prevail with or without you. Doesn't need you. Listen, you don't give, we're going to pay the bills. We got money in the bank because we live with margin. But here's the deal. You miss out on the unbelievable blessings that God has for your life. The blessing of giving, which honestly is way better than receiving. You miss out on being the vessel and conduit of answered prayer. grab a hold of these three habits. It's a pay now habit. It's a pay yourself habit. It's a pay it forward habit. And give back to God because he has been faithful in your life. So maybe you're here and you need to get your spending under control. Maybe you need some management issues here. You need to deal with those things. I want to encourage you to deal with that today. Ask for some help. Do a financial peace connect group. Get involved somewhere. Maybe you're here and You've been a good manager of your resources, but maybe you've never trusted God with the first 10%. Maybe today is the day that God is stirring in your heart that maybe it's time for you to trust Him with that. Maybe you're here and you've trusted God with that first 10% and you've been a good manager of the rest. And here's the next layer of spiritual maturity. God wants to know what you're doing with that 90%. How are you using that in your life to make a difference? Because what I've found is, is, is the first 10% is saying, hey, God, I'm going to return this to you. That's not giving. That's returning. It's what happens above and beyond that where God does some incredible, incredible things in your life. And I don't know where you are or where you're at, but I know that God is probably stirring you. Let's make some decisions today to live different financially so we can be a blessing who God flows through in our lives. Would you guys bow your heads with me as Susie prays?